Surprise! <laughs> Morning, guys. How you doing? Doing good? <laughs> well, if you don't know me, my name is Nate Parrish. I serve as the creative director here at Resurrection Church, and I also have the privilege of being on the worship team. Um, I preach about once a year, so um, I figured that I needed to make it count. And uh, my dad always said, just stick to what you know. So I, I know worship. I know music. And so today, um, I'm going to preach on worship through music, specifically out of Psalm 150. And, uh, but first, I want to do a little exercise, okay? So we're all going to take a deep breath in. No, don't do it yet. <laughs> take a deep breath in, and then when I say, we're going to exhale, but exhale slowly through your nostrils, because you don't want to be spreading germs in people's faces, okay? So, cool? All right. Let's take a deep breath in. And out. It's nice, right? Y'all relaxed? Good. Okay, cool. That'll make sense later. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's open up to Psalm 150. We're going to actually read this entire chapter. So you can leave today and say, I read a chapter of the Bible. All right, here we go. Psalm 150, verse 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with a lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. So all the emails about drums and stuff. It's, just, it's right here in Bible. So I don't know what to tell you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And if you didn't pick up on the theme one more time, praise the Lord. It says praise 13 times in six verses. So yeah, seems like it's important. So today we're going we're gonna to get back to basics a little bit. We're going to teach on worship. We're going to answer three questions. Where do we praise God? Why do we praise God? And how do we praise God? This may seem very elementary and, you know, all that stuff. And it is. Uh, but for me, I can tell you, especially from preparing for this message this last week, I, I think I, I realized how much I had taken worship for granted uh, because it's so familiar. Like, I'm usually standing right there and leading worship at least every week, sometimes multiple times a week. And I've been doing it, you know, for... 20 years maybe, uh, like worship is just a part of my life. And so uh, it's really easy to let that just become familiar and, and, and you lose your reverence for something like that. I think in Western Christianity, it's very easy to let the familiarity and accessibility of worship diminish its necessity. Just because we, we can do it and we do it here every week, it doesn't make it any less necessary. So sometimes you just have to get back to basics, right? So this is going to be very straightforward, very basic. It's going to answer some questions that you might not even know that you were asking or needed to ask. But I do believe at the end it will be very beneficial. I know it has been for me just this last week. So question number one, where do we praise God? All right, let's hop on over back to Psalm 150, verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. So the first part of that 
verse says, praise God in his sanctuary. When I read that, I thought, oh, that means sanctuary, like church, like praise him here. What it actually means is praise him in his sanctuary, which is heaven. Well, we're not in heaven, right? Like it's Bakersfield in the summer, so it's, it's literally the opposite of heaven. <laughs> so why do we need to even know this? Okay, cool, he's worshiped in heaven. Why does this matter for us here on earth? Well, before man was created, angels were worshiping God in heaven. You know that praise existed in heaven first before we ever sung a note here on earth. This is important to understand because it gives us scope. This gives scope to our praise. So in Job 38, 4 through 7, this is God talking to Job. He's, uh, you know, Job is having kind of a rough one. Uh, Things aren't going great. And God talking to Job, he says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? And all angels shouted for joy. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation and all the angels shouted for joy? Essentially saying to Job, listen, you know, you got all these things going on. You have questions. I get it. That's cool. I got a question for you. Were you even there, bro, when I created heavens and the earth? And he just goes on this, just the whole list of stuff. And Job, I'm sure Job was just like, just like shrinking down into a, a puddle. And God is essentially saying, listen, I've been here. I'm always here, was always here. Angels worship me before you are even in existence. So this is God sort of establishing the scope. And when we approach worship, we approach praise, it's important to acknowledge that, that this has been happening in heaven before we were even here, before we knew what music was. God was being worshiped in heaven. This gives scope to our praise. The other thing that it points out is even though he is worshiped in heaven among the angels. So we have a really good worship band here. Like, I'm not afraid to say our worship band is the best. Um, it's not a competition, but we won. And they are really good. But God is being worshiped by angels, probably better musicians. I'm going to throw that out there. Plus, they can fly. So, but even though he's worshiped in heaven amongst angels, all that splendor, all that vastness, he still chooses to inhabit the praise of his people, right? So he, that gives us a scope and understanding of our worship here on earth is to know that it happens in heaven and it has been happening in heaven before we were even here. God is praised in heaven. So the second part of that verse talks about God is praised in the heavens. Some translations say in the firmament of his power. So I thought, oh, well, that means heaven. Well, it actually means the heavens, which is the expanse of creation, the heavens. Um, Genesis 1, 6 through 8 says this. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Let there be a firmament. So in the translations where it talks about the firmament of his power, it's talking about earth, basically creation, which as it applies to us is earth. We live on earth for now. And um, so it's talking about heaven and earth. God is praised on earth. Why does this matter? What you see in in verse one here is a consistent pattern in scripture of heaven first and earth second. For example, in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, this is the Lord's prayer. It says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is in. Okay. 
So kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is establishing heaven first, earth second. Same thing in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. This is the Great Commission. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. When you understand this, that heaven is first, earth is second, this gives perspective to our praise because there's times where on earth, there's not a lot going on that we want to give praise for, right? Sometimes times are hard and the world feels like it's on fire, falling apart. But when you understand that heaven first, earth second, this has all been established, the scope, it, it causes you to realign. Say, well, listen, the, the stuff that's going on here has nothing to do with the fact that I should praise God because he's been praised and he deserves praise, right? So this gives perspective to our praise. So we know we're supposed to praise God. We're to praise God in heaven and on earth. But let's get more specific. Like, what does that mean specifically here on earth? What does that mean? Does that mean we're to worship God in this building only? Are we to worship him in, in, any, uh, in a chapel or some sort of religious building? Is that the only place we're supposed to worship God? Although we praise God in a church building, his praise is not to be contained to a building or even a group. In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelled in one physical location, but in light of the new covenant, we realize that God's sanctuary is not fixed to a particular building, but that he dwells within each believer. So in 1 Corinthians 3.16, this is uh, describing us, the body. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If you are a believer... You are a walking sanctuary. Yeah. And this way, your praise is not to be confined to a fixed location, but it's to be expressed in your very being. You are a sanctuary. So where you go, that's where God is to be praised. This is the reason that Paul and Silas can be thrown in a prison and still worship God. They're in a prison. It's not a church. Um, it's literally the worst place. It's a prison. But yet in Acts 16.25, they're worshiping God. It says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. If you get arrested, just start singing. It's right here. Should work. But don't, also don't get arrested. <laughs> because Paul understood that he was a sanctuary, a walking sanctuary of God's presence, Paul made that prison cell a sanctuary. When I was in um, school, I did like a, a worship uh, ministry internship. I had this friend, his name's Jason, and uh, he was a very, he is a very passionate guy. He was a b-boy. You guys know what that is? So no one, literally no one. Uh, he's a break dancer. <laughs> so he would, break, he would break dance for Christ. It was, it was funny. Uh, he's really good. And uh, sorry, if, Jason, if you're watching this, I'm not. It's good. 
he, he's a very passionate guy, and he would tell us, like, yeah, and so he would take things really, really, like, literal, which, you know, from Scripture, and so he was talking to us about how, he's like, yeah, you know, just wherever you are, you know, just you praise God, and so he's driving, he's like, as I'm driving, guys, it, I just turn on some worship music, man, I just shut my eyes, and I just praise God, and yeah, he's going, and I was like, well, what? Yeah, man, so I just, I put on, and man, the spirit hits me, I just close my eyes, I'm just driving, praising God, I'm like, do you want to meet Jesus? <laughs> and, and he's kind of, you know, he, he laughed it off. And I was like, <laughs> but he's going to crash. Anyone else? Anyone? I don't suggest that. In fact, I, I think that you shouldn't do that. But the principle Jason understood is that he could make anywhere a sanctuary because God's presence dwelled within him. He could take time. He could redeem his drive, his commute, and turn that into a, a, a place of worship. Jason made his Honda a sanctuary. Hondas are great cars for sanctuaries. Last forever. Uh, I also get to play in a band called Cutlass, and we, uh, we've done a lot of tours. A couple years ago, we were able to do a two-month tour in Europe. And so there's a picture here. So this is actually us in Belarus, which if you don't know, Belarus is uh, not a Christian place. It's actually quite the opposite. And so we were asked to play this outdoor thing. So there's a ton of people. This is me right here, this little guy. And um, so they told us, all right, you guys can, you know, you can do your set, but you're not allowed to say Jesus. You're not allowed to say God. I think that was it, yeah. You can say faith, hope, and love. So, oh, okay, that's gonna be difficult given our set list. But you couldn't say it, but you could sing it if it's in the song. Oh, all right then. So the altar call was a little vague, but um, he still gave one. And it was really cool. I mean, that's, that might be the most people I've played in front of. You can't really tell, but there's thousands of people there. It's outdoor in a place that is, they don't really have freedom of religion. And it was just an amazing experience to be able to do that. And it rained. So there was the danger of getting electrocuted as well. So it's like, yeah, for Christ. You're electrocuted for Christ. That's the way to go. But it was really cool, and it wasn't a church, and it, wasn't, it was actually anti-Christian where we were at, but yet we were able to make that stage in Belarus a sanctuary. Why? Well, because the, the, the dudes with the microphones are sanctuaries, and, and God's spirit dwells within us. Can you worship at home by yourself? Yep. Can you worship in a car with their eyes open? Yes. Can you worship on a stage with lights and all that stuff? Yep. So why then, why do we even bother gathering here? If we can just do it at home, we could do it wherever. Why do we gather in a church? Well, the Bible describes us as the body of Christ. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. There is something special about gathering together in a designated place of worship with other believers. It just is. Now, we've, we've seen over the last, um, how long has it been? 15 years now since the lockdowns? We've seen over this last period of time that, can you worship at home? Mm-hmm. Can you, can you record worship and stream it to people? Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna give it a hot take. I think this is better. I just, I think it is. 
feel like it is. It is. <laughs> it's better. We're, we're together, and it's not, you know, because there's anything special necessarily about the building or the carpet or anything like that. It's just that we're together as believers in a place designated for this. There's something special about it. You know that we have these screens, right? We got these giant screens. This is not so you could see, you know, my face really big on the screen. No one needs to see that. But it's so you could see the lyrics, so you can sing together. It's so you could sing the scriptures, you know, and I'm, I'm not making up heresy. These are things that are meant to uh, amplify this place designated for worship. We have lights, not because I want to do a cool light show or whatever. It's so you could see me because it'd be kind of weird if I was up here in the dark, right? It's so you could see your Bible, so you could take notes. We even use colored lights on purpose because we know that there are different moods to lighting, right? There's different, this is science, people. We, we are all using the tools that God has given us because honestly, Josh back there on the, on the light board is an artist. He is gifted. He has a passion for it. Who am I to say, sorry, bro, not in church. I know God gave you those gifts, but you got to do that outside, right? I'm not gonna do that. He's exercising his gifts. He's part of the body. And we're all working together to make this a place of worship. We can get rid of those stumbling blocks, those obstacles. Oh, I can't see, I can't hear, I can't, you know, all those things. That's why we have this stuff. It's not just so we're create this like cool venue or whatever. Some places are just less conducive for corporate worship. They just are. Uh, It's probably about 2007, I was in this worship band and we're like a rock worship band. And we would get booked to play a lot of uh, youth events, which are, you never know what's going to happen there. Is there going to be bouncy houses, sumo suits? <sighs> There's going to be pizza and Mountain Dew. That's a guarantee. <laughs> but we played this one, and I lovingly refer to it as Hot Dog Festival. That's Rachel laughing because she already knows the story. Um, <laughs> So at the hot dog festival, they're like, all right, guys, we're doing a youth outreach and we're going to bring you guys in and you're just going to rock it for Christ and you're going to bring the presence and all those kids are going to get saved and we're going to worship out here this outside at this school thing. I was like, yeah, dude. So we get through the whole night, there's preaching, there's all this stuff. And then they're like, all right, dinner. So all the kids rush outside. So imagine this is, you know, I'm up, I'm right here and uh, all the kids rush out and there's all these tables. And all the kids sit at the tables and they start distributing the hot dogs. So we got all you can eat hot dogs and chips. And so the kids are like, yeah. And then as they're eating, the guy, the guy running the event's like, go. So we're like, but they're eating hot dogs. <laughs> go. So we start doing our worship set during dinner. Um, they don't care. They're just like, can you be quiet? I can't hear the mustard or whatever. So also it's not a stage that we're on. It is a staircase. So there's stairs and then the stage part is like this big and then more steps over here. So I'm literally on this little tiny platform and you've seen me play, you know, here I'm a little toned down, but you know, I get this power stance going and there's some rock happening. What do you think happened? I fell down the stairs. I fell down the stairs in front of everyone at hot dog festival with my guitar on. So I'm playing and, and I'm like, Jesus. And in that moment, you know, time stops and you're like, all right, I'm holding this guitar. I have to protect it. 
So I scorpion, I scorpion, and I go down the stairs on my back while I'm playing, and it's the worst thing ever, and it was terrible, but no one really saw it because it was hot dog festival, so who cares? The point is, did we worship? Yeah. Did we worship hard? I did. I really did. Was that a conducive worship environment? I'm going to say no, probably not. Not a lot of corporate worship happening, just a lot of hot dogs happening. When we gather together in a place like this, there's a few things that happen. There's encouragement. That wasn't very encouraging for me. Being here, worshiping, looking over, seeing you know, Tyler on drums and all that stuff. Out there, seeing other believers. Uh, we got different, you know, some are mature believers, some are young believers, different colors, different backgrounds, all these different things. And we're all worshiping the same God together. It's pretty cool. It's encouraging, right? It is. It also gives us a sense of community, like we're not alone. I am a comic book, some say nerd, but I like to say a aficionado. <laughs> and I like comic books, and therefore I like comic book movies. And one of my favorite is Batman versus Superman. And it is a very uh, divisive movie. Not everyone, some people love it, some people hate it. Cool. You're wrong. And I convinced my wife to let me buy these tickets to go to a screening of Batman versus Superman with the director in uh, LA. And there was this theater, and there's about 250 just really devoted aficionados of this movie. And the director was there. Like, he's, I could see him. And I was just like, oh, man, there he is, my hero. <laughs> and I told, dude, I've watched that movie, you know, a lot, a lot. And there's something so different about watching it in a room where every single person in that room loves it as much as you do, and they're all there to do that. And the director's sitting there. It's like, dare I say, religious experience. <laughs> it was really special. We talk about it all the time, and I'm sure Rachel's uh, over it. But... The, the sense of community I felt in that moment was really special. Now it's a movie and blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was, it was special. And I look back on that fondly. And I got to meet him and, yeah, like fainted. It was great. Um, if you scroll through my Instagram, you can see a picture of me and him like laughing together. And it's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> Worshiping together also gives us a sense of perspective. You can look around and, and see other people and see where they're at in life. Some are going through good times. Some are going through bad times. But it gives you perspective that it's not about you. That's why community is great, um, because it's not about you. A community does serve us, but also it gives you a chance to serve other people, which is something that we leave out a lot. You know, we, oh, I don't go to church because I don't, you know, the bumper sticker, right? You know, the church is not a building, you know that? <laughs> church is the people, so I don't need to go to a building. Cool, cool. You're not helping anyone. Do you ever think about that? Like, what if you're supposed to be here to encourage someone? but you're not because bumper sticker. Like, don't negate that. We're supposed to be here together worshiping. Now, doesn't mean you can't worship online. I know things are different right now, but like, be a part of a community. That's important. Dare I say it's in the scripture because yeah, it's in the scripture and we read it. So we're to praise God everywhere, in heaven and on earth, alone and together. But your ability to praise is not limited to your location of your body, but the position of your heart. So back to the first question, where do we praise God? We praise him everywhere, literally everywhere. You praise him on earth, you'll praise him in heaven. You're going to praise him everywhere. So question number two, 
Why do we praise God? It may seem like a no-duh question, but let's look at it. Verse 2 gives us the answer in two parts. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The first part is we praise him for who he is, simply for just being. I have a son, his name's Bishop, and uh, he is objectively the cutest baby on this or any planet. And he's really cute. And uh, I spend time with him just because of who he is. He's my son. Uh, He doesn't really do a lot, like for me, you know? It's not like he's making me breakfast or something. Uh, He does nothing uh, besides be cute, and he does it better than anyone. And his new thing is sitting in a box. He's got, like, toys everywhere, but he really likes this box. (laughs) So we, we put him in a box, and he literally sits there with his elbow hanging out, and we'll watch, like, cartoons together, and I just sit next to him. I'm not in a box because we don't have that, that big of a box, but I just look at him, and he looks at me, and I'm like, this is the best. He's not doing anything, right? It's just because of who he is. He has done some things to me. He has abused me. He has, he has pooped on me. That is a thing. It happened this last week. Uh, he had a blowout, and uh, I, it was... There's nothing I could do but get, take him and take him into the shower. Pressed his poopiness against me and go in the shower. I just had to just, it is, I'm just, there's poop on me. And, you know, hold his little butt up to the shower head and all that stuff. It's effective. Wipes. You don't need that. Just throw him in the shower. He's peed in my mouth. I don't even know how he did that, but he did. He has thrown up into my open mouth. You know, I'm doing the whole, yeah, dude, yeah. And then he's like, and it went into my mouth. And I just gave him to mom and sat there. What just happened? Just because he's my son, it's all good. Someone else's kid does that? Oh, dude. How dare you pee on me? But the point is, like, if I can spend time with Bishop because he's my son. I mean, I could spend time with God because he's everything good about existence. That's what he is. So if he did nothing, we say, oh, God's never done nothing for me, but he exists. You should praise him because he's good. He's the definition of good. Everything that we think is good is measured to him. There's some attributes here that I've written down. I'm sure it's not all of them, but it's uh, it's a good list. I'm just going to read through those. God is infinite meaning he's self-existing. God is immutable. He's never changing. God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. God is wise, full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God is faithful, infinitely true. God is good, infinitely kind. God is just, infinitely right. God is merciful, infinitely compassionate. God is gracious, infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. God is loving, infinitely and unchangingly loves us. God is holy, he's infinitely perfect, and God is glorious, he is infinitely beautiful. That's who he is. That's worthy of praise. The second part is we praise him for what he's done. 
Uh, as humans, we're created to praise. It's kind of what we do, whether we like to admit it or not. There's a lot of you know, people out there who say, oh, I don't bow to anyone. Not true. You do. Everyone does. It's just a question of who you're bowing to. If you look at society and how we've set things up, we, we have a bunch of sanctuaries that we've created. Football stadium, for example. Field, all around it are seats going up in an incline so you can, everyone can see. And what do, they, what do they do to the person on the field? Yeah, go football guy. He scores it. Oh, he scored a touchdown. Go Clemson. Yeah. We clap. <laughs> we clap and we praise them because they're doing something good. Scoring a touchdown. That's good. If I, that's my team. That's good. So we have set up a sanctuary. Baseball, all these sports. Movie theaters, same deal. We're all, seats are all aimed at a central thing. It's a screen. And when we like the movie, we go, yeah. Infinity War, when Captain America gets Mjolnir and he's worthy. <laughs> no, you guys don't time out. Derek does. What's up, Derek? People went nuts in the movie theater because it was like this cool thing that he did. He was worthy. It was great. <laughs> we're, de- we're designed to praise good things. We, are pra- we praise God because he deserves it, because of who he is, but we also praise him for what he's done. Sometimes we forget what he's done. Specifically when we praise through music, it reminds us in those times we forget. You know, you may be thinking God has abandoned you and, and these are normal thoughts that we have, we have struggles, but if you sing Amazing Grace, it reminds you that he saved a wretch like you, like me. It recalls that to your memory and you say, all right, cool. God has done some stuff. Because it's easy to forget, right? We, we tend to remember the bad things in life more than the good ones. It's just, it's, just how, it's just what we do. So we gather together to worship and praise God because it reminds us and it realigns us, kind of overrides. A lot of times we think that worship is emotionally manipulative. It can be, but in a way it actually works and takes emotion off the table because regardless of what you're feeling, it tells you the truth when you praise God. Amazing grace, how sweet this sounds, saved a wretch like me. So if I had a bad day or a good day, it doesn't change that fact, right? It gives us perspective. So back to question two, why do we praise God? Well, we praise him for every reason. We praise him for who he is, we praise him for what he's done. Okay, question number three, how do we praise God? There's a lot of ways to praise God, a lot of ways to worship. When we uh, take tithe and offering here, we say our next act of worship. That's intentional because worship is really anything that you give your time and value to, time and treasure. That's what worship is. So all kinds of stuff is worship, but specifically in this uh, passage, we're talking about praising him with instruments. So if you start in verse three, it says, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance. Yep, you can dance, maybe. Praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So this is a list of instruments. It's not exhaustive. It's not every instrument we have, but it is representative. What I mean is it has string instruments. It has wind instruments. You know that little thing that Rachel plays up here sometimes, the melodica, melodica? It's pretty cool. It's a wind instrument. It covers percussion, the drums, everyone's favorite instrument. It it even covers the human body. 
when it talks about dancing. Do you know that uh, you're actually instruments? Come on, don't pretend like you don't know it. Ready? We will, we will praise him. Congratulations, you're all great musicians. And for the most part, you all have rhythm. This, this list of instruments covers it all. Instruments, instruments, instruments. Music requires unity and intentionality. This is why we use music. It requires unity. For example, a couple weeks ago, we were doing a new song, and I was like, this is a really good song, and I really want to do a good job. And I had practice, and I swear I did it right every time, but when we got up here on Sunday, it started, and somehow I messed up. And if you don't know, we play with a click, a metronome in our ears. It has the tempo. It keeps us on time. And it has cues in case you get lost. So it'll say, like, verse, two, three, four. Okay, cool. So it just kind of keeps us on track in case things go haywire. Well, that Sunday it did. So I'm playing, and then I go to the verse, and I start singing, and then I hear the thing go, verse. I'm like, huh, I already did the verse. And so <laughs> I'm completely off. And in that moment, you have to decide, am I just going let to her, let her go or <laughs> stop? I have to actually stop everyone. So I, I've done both in my career, but this time I said, hey, whoa, can you stop? I messed that up. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I really want this song to be good, and I messed it up. Music requires unity because if I kept going, some might not notice, but it's going to get weird. You know, if, if the band is on a different page than the, than the vocalist or the tracks or whatever we're doing, imagine if I started a song in a different key, which I have done. Sounds real bad. <laughs> it requires unity. And that's why worship, specifically through music, is so important to what we do on Sunday morning. And these are all things that fortify these principles of unity and encouragement and community. That's why we use music. It also requires intentionality. So I don't know if you know this, but my wife, uh, she picks the worship sets. She'll pick the songs. She actually thinks about it. And she will base them off of what the sermon topic is. So if you notice today, we sang a lot of songs about um, singing louder, uh, never going to stop singing, right? Things like that. That's all on purpose. Ah, the curtain. And then behind it is my wife, the wizard. <laughs> These are all things we do on purpose, not to manipulate, because we could do that. We honestly, and just like anything good, it can be used improperly. But it's to supplement what we're doing. We have a certain, a, a certain gifts and talents that we're given, and we choose to use those with intentionality. So even looking back, a couple weeks ago, did you know that we did two hymns in, on a Sunday? Because they were um, updated and the musicality was different, but they were hymns. The theology was there. That's on purpose. In the last four months, we did a song that was written in 1980. We also did a song that was written in 2020. That's on purpose. We have songs led by men and women, fast songs and slow songs. That's all on purpose. In July, we did a hymn sing. Were you guys here for that? It was actually really cool. It was refreshing. I didn't grow up, I didn't grow up in a, um, a church that, that did that, but it was nice just to have piano and open your hymn book and sing this hymn. It was cool. It's not something we do all the time, but we, we do it, and we want to do that again. 
In August, we did a Sunday where it was just piano, acoustic guitar, and vocals, just because sometimes you just got to strip things down and get back to basics, right? Just, we don't need loud guitars and drums. We're just going to use our voices. This is all good. It's all intentional. We did not invent the principles of music at Resurrection Church. I know. We didn't. I'd like to say I did, but I didn't. God invented those. We just discovered them. So things like time, tempo, major, minor, all these things are things that God created. So you play a song on a minor key, it sounds kind of sad, it's somber, it's a little introspective. You sing a song on a major key, it's happy, it's, I'm walking on sunshine, right? Yeah. Imagine if I did that song in a minor key, walking on sunshine, yeah. What? It'd be weird, right? So these principles that God, that's, I just realized that I'm singing on the internet now, but <laughs> that song. But God has created these principles and he's given them to us. We're going to use them in, 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 to supplement what we're doing. I'm not going to ignore those and, and, and out of fear of, you know, being accused of manipulating or things like that. No, these are things that God created and they can be used as tools. I think that's pretty awesome. It's one of the great things about music is that music engages your intellect, your senses, your emotions, and elicits your interaction, awakening mind, body, and soul. So when you sing a song like Amazing Grace, you're using your intellect, you're looking at the words, you're also absorbing theology, okay? You're using your senses, so you're hearing the music, you're singing, you're you ever do this where you, you hear a song and you, you, you have like a, a, a mental landmark of the first time you heard that song or the t- a time the song really meant something to you or maybe you were at a concert with a person and you, the song, you guys were together. It, it, it makes like a landmark and you can go back to it. Well, in worship music, it, it's the same way. You come to church and a song speaks to you and you remember that. It engages your senses. It engages your emotions, which are good. Emotions are good. It elicits your reaction. So not only are you taking in, but you're giving out. You're singing, you're clapping, stomping, whatever it is. So music, worship through music, engages all these different things together. It's pretty magical, actually. And that's why music is a part of what we do on Sundays. That's why when you hear a certain song, you can, it can take you back to a specific time. And you can recall lyrics and melodies and things like that. Uh, how many of you guys remember what you learned in um, high school algebra? Dude, don't lie. No. Okay, I can't. I, I don't remember anything. But I can remember a CD I got during that time in a song. And like where I was. Yeah, CDs. They're like little discs that yeah, the music spins on them. I can remember stuff like that. I can remember jingles, right? Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that. So you guys can memorize things. Why can you memorize that besides it, they're delicious? Because it's set to music. It engages your senses and it burrows into you. That's what music does. When I was a little guy, I, was in, I went to this Christian elementary school and we would do this thing where we would uh, go to retirement homes and sing for the people there. It was really cute. Uh, I, I think I was like seven. And we had this song that we'd 
cassette tape. You basically just put a cassette tape player on the ground and just press play, and we'd just be like, and all the people there are like, oh, you're so cute. Can't wait to pinch your cheeks. And we did a, a song about the Beatitudes, love is patient, love is kind. I don't know if I could recite that whole thing if I didn't know the melody. I remember the melody of that specific song. I haven't heard it in a thousand years. I remember all the lyrics. I even remember the drum fills and like all these weird like dynamics about the song. I remember all that. So I could sing it for you. I'm not going to because it's, it's, it's weird, but I could do it. And, and I don't know if I could say that I could memorize a lot of scripture that easily if it wasn't set to music. It's really cool. Um, you know, when I was talking about emotion, and sometimes, even for me, I'll speak out of personal experience, I am very aware of the, the emotionalism that comes with worship music, right? I'm in the biz, so to speak. So I know that there's a, a danger of being manipulated by emotion and being, having uh, emotionalism drive worship music. I'm aware of this. And, and I tend to uh, sort of like avoid that, you know? I, I, don't, I don't love, I don't gravitate towards songs that are like boyfriend Jesus songs, you know? I just don't, like the mushy ones. I like the ones about blood and like, the conquers and, you know, stuff like that. They're very metal. But like the more mushy ones, I'm like, oh, that's too emotional. And I remember listening to a teacher who was sort of tearing apart modern worship, you know? Oh, it's all about emotion and blah, 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 and guitars and stuff. And he was going off. <laughs> and, and I turned from like, yeah, to like, okay, chill, dude. And he was just ripping it. And then I realized it became ironic to me. It's like, you know, you're talking about divorcing emotion from music. You're getting quite emotional about it. Like he was getting really angry. Like, what is that? Why are we cool with anger as an emotion, but not the lovey-dovey stuff? I think there's something there. I think it's because it makes you vulnerable. Like, it's easy to sing the songs about Jesus uh, from a third party, you know? This is what he did thousands of years ago, yeah, but not what he's doing right now, like as if he's alive, you know, but he is. But we kind of like, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, because it makes us vulnerable, right? If you, if you acknowledge that Jesus is a real life living person right now, right here, Kind of, whoa, that's a lot. And so in our attempt to avoid emotionalism, we must not eliminate emotion. And that's coming from a dude who doesn't like to express emotions a lot, except for when I'm at a coffee shop and I start crying randomly or watching Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I'm not a super emotional guy, but I know and I recognize this, that it is very easy to, to demonize emotion when it comes to worship. If Bishop one day picks up a guitar and he comes to me and says, Dad, I wrote you a song, and he gets emotional during that song and sings lovey-dovey lyrics to me, I will die. I will burst into a thousand butterflies and, and they will all fly directly to heaven. And I'll be gone. Because it will just crush me because it's my son. And Rachel will be mad because she's a single mom now and Nate went to heaven. But that, I, I long for that and I think we would if you're a parent or you have someone that you love. I think you want that. 
but we don't think that God wants that from us. I think he does, if I do. I think he would super be into that. <laughs> I think it would be great. So we must not take emotion out of what we do. So remember when we first started, and I got up here and said, surprise, I had you guys take a deep breath. Remember that? So that was a trick. When God animated Adam in Genesis, he used his breath. And the Hebrew word for breath is raruk, which also means spirit. In Psalm 150, raruk is the same term used when it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We've established that everyone in this room can breathe. I kind of figured that was the case, but I thought I'd make sure. We can all breathe. We all have breath. We all have spirit in us. In actuality, breath is really the only thing that we have. It's the, thing, the first thing we do when we emerge. It's what brought Adam to life, and it's the last thing we do when we leave. It's breath. It's borrowed breath. We have to give it back. It wasn't ours, but it's given to us. I have it right now. I'm using it. If we have breath, and it's been given to us, and God is good, and everything he's done is good, and we have every sanctuary, who are we to not give him his breath? Oh, I don't play an instrument. That's cool. Can you breathe? Yeah, but I don't sing very well. All good. Won't even be able to hear it. It's awesome. Just sing. Just worship God. Just talk to God. All those things. You have breath at the very end of the day. So what we're going to do, because I'm a practical guy, uh, we're actually going to worship right now. My wife's going to come up. She's going to lead us in a song, and we're all going to use our breath together. We're going to praise God. I don't care if you sing poorly. That's awesome. Um, God's just said, make a noise. So we're going to worship together. And then when I come back up, I'm going to give you one more thing to, to kind of guide you through this next week. Amen. All right. So to review, where are we to praise God? Everywhere. So if you find yourself in this week and you're not at church, um, look for those places where you can praise God. Look for those places where you can make a sanctuary. If you're driving to work, eyes open, you can worship God. If you're at work, maybe, you can worship God. If you're at home, worship God. Make a sanctuary. He's to be praised everywhere. Why do we praise God? We praise him for every reason, for who he is, what he's done. What reasons have you forgotten about that you need to remind yourself about? Um, that God, what are the things that God has done for you in your life that you can praise him for? Sometimes we forget. And if you forget, just look at who he is and start there. Cool. How are we to praise God? We praise him with every expression. You may not be a guitar player. You may not play the lute. I actually don't know anyone that plays a lute, but you do have breath, so you can praise God. What do you have to give back to God? You have breath. So this week, what I want you to do, uh, I've made some practical things for you. Uh, in the bulletins, if you open that up in the back, there's a couple of QR codes. And so what you do is you get your phone, you get the camera, and you act like you're going to take a picture of that code. It will take you to a website. There's a Spotify and a YouTube playlist, and you can have those. Rachel put that together. So wherever you're at this week, you can make a sanctuary 
I would suggest that you read Psalm 150 to kind of align yourself and then use that playlist. If you, sometimes you don't know where to start, like, oh, I don't you know, listen to a lot of worship music or whatever. She's taking care of it for you. She's made a great playlist. Throw that on, worship God. I promise you uh, it will make a difference. Even for me, as a guy who leads worship every week, this week has been different because I did this. It's, I'm ashamed that it took me preaching to, to do that again, but it did make a difference in my life and uh, it will make a difference in yours. Amen? All right, we'll see you guys next week.